0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of December 23rd from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I invite you to take your Bibles, open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. This morning, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, and a reminder, tomorrow night we will have a Christmas Eve service here at 5 o'clock, just a reminder about that. This is a time of year that uh, many folks are traveling. And, and why are they traveling? Just for the fun of it? Because after all, being in an airport on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve is just full of fun, right? We used to, uh, when we lived in Georgia, before we came here, we were a 13-hour drive to my, my parents and a 15-hour drive to uh, Angela's parents. And you want to know what fun is? It's a 15-hour drive in one day with a family full of active people. Now, you don't do that just because, you know what? It sounds like a fun day to take a 15-hour drive across four states. Yes. Now, maybe, for that, maybe that's fun for you. I mean, traveling's fun, but there's ways to do it that are a little more enjoyable, perhaps, than that. Now, why do we travel? Why do we go back and see our families? Because we love them, right? We want to be near, we want to be with the people that we care about the most, right? That's what love, uh, it's part of what loving someone means. You want to be with them. And when we love and care for other people, being separated from them is is painful, It's, it's hard, it's difficult. Now we know what that's like, to be separated from the people that we love, but let's face it, the people that we care about, we generally want to be with them. As we come to the scripture this morning, as we talk about God's love for us, we understand that the at the crux of the story that we're about to read this morning, at at the crux of Christmas, is this idea that God loves us, and yet we have been separated from Him. Not because He abandoned us, not because He turned His back on us, but because we turned our backs upon Him. And separation from one who loves us is a painful and costly thing. The truth is, the most painful, cruelest thing you can do to somebody, to any individual, is to isolate them from everyone else around them, to isolate them from not just those who love them, but from any human contact whatsoever. It's one of the cruelest, most painful things you can do to an individual is to separate them, to isolate them from those around them. Many years ago, when I was very young in the ministry, when a young lady in our church, probably not more than 14 or 15 years old, and her relationship with her father was for the most part one that was absent. Her father was an alcoholic he was not there very much, if at all and when he was there the the, the relationship was generally abusive. It was a young lady who, in dealing with the the very poor relationship she had with her father, was seeking out quite frankly any affection she could from a male figure and Unfortunately, in her case, that meant that any young man who would offer her the right words or would offer her any affection, she would give herself to that young man. And the result, of course, was a a life that for her was very difficult. She was in desperate need of, of love. And because she couldn't get it from a source that she knew she should be, she would look for it almost anywhere she could find it. You know, we live in a world that this morning is separated from the love of God. Not because God's been abusive or God has been abandoned, her, abandoned the world like this young lady's father did, but because we have abandoned him. And even though we don't necessarily uh, understand it, our world is suffering the consequences of what it means to be separated from the love of God. We have a world where people are running around looking for affection in any way they can. We have a world that Despite the fact we have a God who knows the numbers of hairs on our head and the freckles on our faces, who has formed us within the womb and has planned us from before the beginning of creation, we have a world that's rebelled against the God who loves them. And even as we as a culture and as we as a human race seek to fill that gap that comes from being separated from God, we do things that make it harder. We try to earn God's love. We deny that He exists. We think He doesn't love us. And yet the gap and the separation is still there. And just like the life of that young girl I knew so many years ago spiraled out of control, so our world does even today. And yet our world as it exists today, separated from the love of God, is not so different from the world that it existed 2,000 years ago. And yet God and His great love for us would not let our rebellion and our separation from Him be the final word. Christians already read our passage this morning. I want to read it again for you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and she called him, his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning for the fact that, that you love us. And as we, this morning, consider your great love for us and what you have done to evidence that love, may we be drawn to you in a fresh way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Even in our account this morning, as God came to Mary, we understand that in the way that God came, the way that God worked in Mary, as he, if we would read in Luke chapter 2, God, the angel Gabriel, or Luke chapter 1, came, God came to, to Mary through that angel Gabriel and told her what he was going to do. We understand that Mary responded with obedience and a heart to, to glorify God, and yet Mary, doing exactly what God wanted her to do, being exactly obedient to what God wanted her to be, and all those things that she did exactly right, we understand that Mary's obedience to God actually put her in danger. That in fact, the fact that she was someone who was going to be found to be pregnant and with child without being married was going to put her in danger of separation from a man that she was going to marry and could be even in danger of separation from a community that would have brought themselves around her to help her. Now, we don't really know that much about Mary and Joseph outside of the direct events described in the Gospels. Here's what we do know. Joseph here in Matthew chapter 1 is described as a, as a righteous man. That man's it's an upright. He's, his, his character was straight. He wasn't crooked. It's the same word that is used to describe men like Noah and Abraham and David. He was a righteous man. He worshipped God. He had faith. Probably Joseph is not much older than 16 or 17 years old to Think about that. Because in that day and age, girls and guys were betrothed. That is not exactly like an engagement, but they were agreed to be married. So here's how it happened. Teenagers, this will thrill your hearts. Mom and dads got together and said, we think our kids should be married. Mom and dad, how many of y'all would amen that? Yeah, Amen. <laughs> Mom and dad got to pick. And they got together and said, yep. These two belong together and uh, we're going to enter into an agreement called betrothal. Now, legally speaking, once you are betrothed, you are legally considered to be married. You aren't technically married, but for all practical purposes, you are together. And you can't break that betrothal without essentially a divorce. Mary, if you think Joseph was young, Mary was most likely around 14 years old. We know that generally speaking, in that day and age, girls were betrothed between 13 and 14, maybe 15 at the most, and guys might be a couple years older. So probably speaking, we could, we could surmise that, that Mary's maybe around 14 and Joseph's around 16 or 17. Boy, does not scare the daylights out of you. And yet, that's what's happening. Joseph was probably a carpenter or a mason. He worked uh, either in brick building or construction. He probably did both. He, he built things. That's what he did. And we know that he was dead most likely by the time Jesus is an adult. Past that, we know very little about Joseph other than his genealogy. Again, Mary, they're both from this small town called Nazareth. Nazareth is a town so small, probably not more than four or five hundred people. It wasn't even acknowledged in that day and age as being a town that even anybody would talk about. It was just a nowhere place in the middle of nowhere that no one went to. That's what Nazareth is. It's a little reputation. We could probably guess that Joseph and Mary, despite their age, were two young people who loved the Lord. I can't imagine God the Father entrusting our Savior to a couple, no matter what their age was, who didn't love him. Past that, we know very little. That's who Mary and Joseph are. And yet, in this context, we understand that, again, as Mary finds herself pregnant during this time of betrothal, that that pregnancy would have endangered her in many ways. And the first one we see right here in Matthew chapter 1, that Joseph, upon finding Mary is pregnant, intends to divorce her. Now, Joseph is actually probably doing the most loving thing he possibly can. For all Joseph knows is that his young bride-to-be is pregnant, and he's not dad. Now, The law gives Joseph a number of different opportunities or different options here. One is, and the Old Testament law would have authorized this, Mary could have been put to death. Legally, that was an option that was in front of the community that was in front of Joseph. He could have been, if he was so inclined, had her stoned to death. That is, people standing around her, throwing rocks at her until she's dead. That was a legal option in front of him. Another option would have been, less that, would have been essentially to bring her out in front of the community and publicly accuse her and point out the fact that she had been unfaithful to him and essentially publicly humiliate and shame her. And that was a fairly common uh, approach back in that day and age. And the idea was you would catch the guy and her, put him out in front of the community, and essentially ostracize them from the town. That was another option that Joseph had. But Joseph, being a righteous man, and as far as he knew, not being the father, decided to do Bobby was the most gracious thing he could have done in that day and age, and that was to try to handle everything quietly and keep it quiet as long as possible, as to keep her safe as long as possible. He couldn't, in any, really, in any real shape, form, or fashion, marry her under those circumstances, but he could do his best to protect her. Now, I think we see a little bit of the glimpse of Joseph's character here. And even in a sense, again, Mary's in danger in some sense here because she is in danger of being separated and isolated from her family or from the community, and especially from Joseph, the one who is betrothed and has pledged to, to love her. And Joseph is going to, instead of humiliating her, or having to put her put to death, he's going to take care of things quietly and try to get things taken care of as safely for her as possible. His love for her Was unconditional. And yet there was the danger of separation. Now we have this incredible thing that God does, though. Verse 20 of our passage says that God came to Joseph in a dream and told him, Mary's not crazy. (laughs) She actually is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now you can imagine. And I don't know how far along Mary was before she told Joseph. You know, it, it could take a little while before the pregnancy shows. And I don't know, I don't know if it took her some time to work up the, the nerve. I mean, let's face it. She's betrothed to, to this man that she loves. And to tell him, I'm pregnant by God, is probably a pretty far out there story, wouldn't you say? I mean, because is Joseph going to really, is she going to expect Joseph to buy that? That sounds like a pretty desperate plea, right? I wonder what Joseph's reaction was when when he heard from God directly. By the way, she is not crazy. She's not desperate. She's not just trying to cover up something. She's telling the truth. Joseph, God's responsible for this. I just kind of imagine in my own mind what Joseph must have gone through because no matter what Mary must have said, Joseph must have been feeling some sense of betrayal, some sense of loss, some sense of "How could this have happened to me?" and then all of a sudden, there is this wave of relief she 's telling the truth god 's going to do this. this is remarkable now, there must have, i think must have been a sense of renewal within joseph 's heart as God told him what was going on, and joseph 's response is to do exactly what God tells him to do you know there are as Mary was in danger of separation, there are, we are in that same sense, in that danger today, or the world is. From the very beginning, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the story of God's creation of of humanity and the the account of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we can look at all those things. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They trusted Satan instead of the the Lord himself. They sinned against God. They as a result of their sin, they hid from God. They, clothed, they found a way to, to clothe themselves, and they hid in the trees so that God, in theory, couldn't see them. It kind of sounds funny now to think about God not being able to find them, but that's what they did. And, and why did they hide from God? Well, they, they came up with this idea they were embarrassed. But you know why they hid from God? Because they were already spiritually separated from Him. And, and God places upon them some consequences of their sin, among which are, you know, he said, that, man, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to work hard. The, the soil is going to produce weeds, and your labor is going to be intense, and you're going to have a hard time providing for your needs. And, and of course, he gave the woman a consequence in the pain and the difficulty of childbirth. But I'm not so sure that the greatest penalty of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God was not the curse of hard work or the curse of pain. It was being separated from God and cast out of the garden. That was the greatest consequence. Even today, the Bible describes us as those who, apart from Christ, are alienated from God. We are separated from God and we are hostile to God. To him, As a human race, we have been separated from God and we're still running away from Him. There are those today who say, well, God doesn't exist, or perhaps they think they're too smart, it's too intelligent. You you can't be intelligent and and believe in God. You can't be a grown-up and believe in God. That's silly childhood stuff. It's myth and fantasy. Those are all lies of Satan to keep us separated from God. That's what Satan does. It might be our work. It might be our recreation. It might just be that we think we're busy. God, what Satan, I'm sorry, will give us every excuse possible to keep us separated from God. He'll use grief and he'll use pain to make us question God and be separated from God. But he doesn't just use those things. He uses pleasure and joy and happiness. And he'll use those things sometimes to say, you don't need God. He'll use good, he'll use bad, he'll use evil, he'll use pain, he'll use joy. Satan will use everything he can to keep us thinking to ourselves, I don't need God, or God doesn't love me, or whatever else. He'll use whatever he can to keep us separated from the love of God. And so we live in a world that's separated from him, has a gap and and a hole in its heart, for God, and yet runs away from him convinced that they can never be with him or he doesn't even exist. And do you know what happens to those who are separated from God? The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know how a lion hunts? It separate, it, it'll separate one from the herd, right? Separation. And once it's got a wildebeest or a whatever it is separate from the herd, That once that thing is separated, it is it's gone. Satan does the same thing with us. He, he does whatever he can to get us to be isolated from God and separated from his people. And once he does that, we are easy prey. That's what Satan does. Mary was in danger of that, but God comes, Joseph tells him the truth, and Joseph becomes, to Mary, a demonstration of, of God's love. God comes to him. Joseph hears what happens. In verse 24, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. We see this this passage here. Verse 23, let's go back and look at that. He says, The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. That means... God with us. Adam and Eve had been deprived of God's presence. The human race has been just deprived because of our own sin of God's immediate presence for most of its history. Not that, not that God is not always there, not that God is not always around, but we have been separated from Him in our relationship. And yet God says... I will not let your sin be the final word. God demonstrates His love for us. What does He do it? How does He do it? If we can't come to Him, He comes to us. And one is born with the name Emmanuel. God with us. And no longer are we a, a human race who has no access to God, but we are those whom God has approached and said, I love you. Revelation 21, if we were to read parts of Revelation 21, there is a passage there where it says, God says that He will make His dwelling place with His people. In other words, there will be a day when God, in a form that we would actually be able to comprehend and see, will never be separated from his people again. There's a word in the Old Testament, it's the word tabernacle. It has the idea of God dwelling with us. The people of Israel, before there was a temple built, when they were traveling in the wilderness, those 40 years under Moses' leadership, they had a, a tabernacle. The word tabernacle has this idea of God dwelling with his people. Despite the fact that you and I have tried to run away from God, God says, I will not let you go that easily. I love you, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to chase you down, and I'm going to love you. I want to be with you. And so, as uh, people who were once separated from God because of the curse of sin, we are now people who God has said, I love you, and I want my dwelling place to be with you. And why does God pursue us. Why does God want to be with us? The same reason we travel home at Christmas. Because He loves us. Just the way we love those around us. God has loved us. We give gifts to people at Christmas. Why? Because we love them, right? Because remember the first time I got to do this as a parent. The first time you got to give a kid to your child and you saw their face like, well, that's just, that's priceless. When you love someone, giving a gift is not necessarily a hard thing to do, is it? It's something you, in fact, enjoy. In fact, when you love someone, you want to act in their best interest. You want to do things that are for their betterment. Even as parents, sometimes some of the things we do, our kids may not like, but we do them because we know they are, in fact, best for them. God loves us. So you know what that means God does? He gives us gifts. He does things that are in our best interest, that are for bettering us. And ultimately, He comes and He realizes, and we know this, the best thing you and I can get this, this Christmas is not simply to be a, a better employer or a better employee. The best thing God can give you is not a better skill or more money or some lavish expenditure or some experience. The best thing that God can give you and me is God himself. That's the best thing. The most loving thing he can do is to be made right with us. So that child is born, God with us. He became one of us in more ways than maybe perhaps today we even realize. The Bible says He was tempted like us. He, he was tired like us. He got hungry like us. He experienced all those things that we experience. He became one of us so that He could, in fact, represent you and I to God as a human being. He could represent us. He could, he could be our representative. And on that cross, this baby who was born that we celebrated Christmas As a human being, God with us, God made flesh, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross because he loved us. And while he's on that cross, he bore our sins, he he, he endured the weight of our sins before the consequences that God had laid out. But not only was he a human man, but he was also fully God. Because I don't care how good of a man he was, if he had only been a man, he could not have endured the cross. He could not have endured the weight and the wrath and the consequences of every sin of every human who had ever lived. It would have crushed him. It would have annihilated him. Can you imagine the wrath and the anger and the consequence of every sin ever committed by any person ever on one person? No human could have endured that. So not only was he fully human, but as the angel told Mary, he would also be fully God. And so on that cross, as one who was fully human to represent us, as one who was fully God, so he had the ability to endure the consequences of, of our sin, he demonstrated God's love for us. And now while we were still sinners, I, Danny, I heard you say this is one of your favorite verses, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still serious, while we were alienated and hostile and angry and running away from God, while we were all those things, God demonstrates, he evidences, he proves his love for us in that God, as one of us, dies on the cross because he loves us. God demonstrated his love for Mary in giving her Joseph. God demonstrates his love for us by giving us Emmanuel, by him dying on that cross, and by raising back to life on the third day. So the question might be this morning, are you one of the human race who for most of our history has been running away from God? Are you still where Adam and Eve are at, hiding in the jungle, hiding behind the trees, hiding behind the branches, hoping that God doesn't see you? Maybe embarrassed or ashamed of what's in your past or thinking that you are unlovable. Maybe that's not where you're at. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't have anything to hide. I don't think God's there. Maybe you're just hostile in your mind, as God describes some of us. But either way, this morning, you would acknowledge that you are separated from Him. And that this Christmas would not be a celebration of God's love for you. You would just be celebrating time with family or a generic cultural feel-good moment. I can think of nothing more tragic than to spend a Christmas separated from the love of God. I can think of nothing more heartbreaking than to spend a Christmas... Not made right with the one who made me. This morning, as we talk about God's love, it means that God has moved and not allowed the separation that we created to be the final word. To not let the excuses that we manufacture to be the final word. To not let Satan's lies be the final word, but to have the final word be, Emmanuel, God with us. That's the final word. That's the words that God has uttered to demonstrate his love for us.